Happy Sunday, Marie. Happy Sunday, Diane. How you doing today? I am great today. Excellent. Excellent. Yes. Me How too. does this feel to you be doing this late later? <laughs> well, I was hoping I took the COVID shot. Oh. Sleeping a lot. So I said, oh my God, don't let me um <laughs> Hello. Hey. Oh, hi, Crystal. Hi. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. I can see your picture. You look beautiful. Oh, thank you. That was from uh, some family photos we took uh, right before Christmas. Oh, beautiful. And Diane's on with us. Hi, Diane. Crystal, how are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Wonderful, wonderful. That's great. Oh, Crystal, thank you so much for joining us. Diane, (laughs) we've been doing this for a while now. I guess for, I guess that's about October, November timeframe. Wow. Yes, okay. And so we just kind of started out with just the two of us talking, just just talking about life in general and, you know, our experiences. And then we started inviting others to join us. So we call it Cousins Dropping Knowledge. (laughs) So um, it's real cousins, play cousins, and now it's everybody that we know and love at this point. I love it. That's awesome. So, you know, I wanted to invite you, Crystal, and um, because I wanted, we've talked to a lot of different people. Most of them have been Nyan's age, my age, and older. But I wanted to start inviting people that are, you know, in our family, younger generation, because just to get a, a blend of what's going on right now at this time when COVID's going on, and I thought you'd just be a perfect person to invite. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. So we're um, we're just kind of starting out with, you know, a little bit about yourself, um, just whatever you want to share, and then Diane and I'll just kind of ask questions as we go. Okay. Well, uh, again, I am Crystal. I am the niece of my Aunt Marie. (laughs) Richardson kids, as we like to call ourselves, me and my cousins. Uh, I always tell people that I'm by way of America, as I don't really call a certain place home because I was fortunate with my father being in the military. We moved around a lot. Um, And currently I am in um, Okinawa, Japan, where it is Monday morning. So Ohio gozaimasu. That means good morning, uh, where I live here with my husband in bumbling and energetic 18 month old son <laughs> oh that is so wonderful <laughs> yeah so what is it like to be a mom Whew. it is the most um nerve-wracking <laughs> um exciting um and it's and i love it you know all in one i think I was just jokingly telling Keith that in the last, you know, we're coming up on two years. He'll be, he'll be two August 3rd, but it's been the longest, but the shortest two years of my life. And, um, you know, in the very beginning, uh, it was unique for us because I got pregnant here in Okinawa, but, you know, with this being my first child, I wanted to um, do my birth in the States. So the last three months, um, I was in the States by myself at the house in Georgia, and he was still in Okinawa. And then once K- uh, KJ was born, uh, two weeks after two weeks, uh, Keith had to return back to Okinawa. So for KJ's first three months, it was just me. <laughs> oh, okay. so that, that was that was a lot. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, I, I think we it's something that needs to be talked about more. I think we, you know, women who go through it, they kind of feel like they're the only ones going through it, but postpartum depression is real. And I definitely experienced that. And so being a first time mom, um, at, you know, I had my first child at 38, so they call it geriatric pregnancy. So my experience was a lot. I, I, I can honestly say that now. <laughs> um, so I was just thankful for my mom and my friends who also had kids um, not too far off from age of uh, KJ that were able to come over and help um, and just really just let me vent and like, what, what's going on? What's wrong with me? They're like, there's nothing wrong with you. This, this happens. Um, so it was, it was definitely a, a journey in the beginning, but now we are all systems go. 
Okay, so you had you had KJ in Georgia, and you were in Georgia for three months, just you and yeah. KJ, and then you went back to Japan at that three month mark. Correct. So we went back to Japan um, uh, end of November, right after Thanksgiving. Um, the you know family came down from Virginia for Thanksgiving, and uh, we left two days later. We flew back out. Uh, so I was in our our big house in. You know, I have a 7,000 square feet home in McDonough, two acres. I love it, but, you know, it feels like an isolated island when it's just you and your newborn. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So how did you make it through postpartum depression? I, I, sought, I sought therapy. I sought out therapy. Um, I did. I was on medication and just talking it out. Um, I remember the first time I talked with someone, we had to go in for KJ six months checkup and they give you know they give you parents say well the mom a just post pregnancy uh checklist and based on a scale on how you're doing and I just I just I remember telling Keith I was going to be honest about it and um you know I, like I said I, I'm I speak about it now because I know there are other women who experience it but you again sometimes there's this this stigma that you can't talk about it but there you know I had suicide ideation I felt that I wasn't good enough, that um, my kid didn't like me. <laughs> you know? uh, who's this foreign person and why, why is everything that I do, he, he cries. Um, but I just remember telling the, the therapist that I just feel like I'm constantly falling and I can't catch my breath. And like, it just, and my heart was always racing. Um, as a former, you know, also playing, playing basketball. So it's this idea of perfection, you know, like I've read all the books. Uh, I, I joined all the mom blogs. I'm, I'm, I'm doing what they're telling me and it still isn't working. And for me, that was like killing me mm-hmm. because it felt like I wasn't good enough. <laughs> and, um, and then we're in the day, day and age of the internet. So there's so much um, out there. And, you know, you, you do have people on social media who portray these, these images of the perfect mom or you know, they're, they're doing all these things with their kids that, you know, that you, you see it at the age where it's like, I'm just happy if I take a shower today or <laughs> if I can get uh-huh. 10 minutes to breathe. Um, but just the thought of going downstairs to make me some food or wash some clothes just seemed like too much at the time. It was just, I, I was, I, that, I remember at that point I was just tracking, okay, we're up at eight. Okay, I just need to make it to 12 when he takes his nap. Okay, I got to make it to seven when he's going to sleep. Mm-hmm. You know, just mm-hmm. that was how I was living my days. Um, and then it, again, just talking to someone about it and, and just hearing that reassurance. And it, it's not so much that I wasn't getting it from home, but I don't know, it just took for a third party to tell me like, you're okay, you're not alone, this is okay. <laughs> so when did you come out of it? Honestly, I would say it probably right around when he turned about nine or 10 months is when I, I didn't feel like such in a fall. I didn't feel like I was on autopilot. Like it, it, I, can't, I, I can't explain it to you. The only way like I visualize it was like everything went from black and white to like I was seeing color for the first time. Like okay. every, everything just felt new and refreshing and I felt like I I I could uh, balance being a mom and having uh, time with friends or personal time. Like I was okay with leaving him with someone or <laughs> being able to go out somewhere just just to run a few errands. So it was right around that nine month, ten month mark that I I started feeling okay. And how has it been with COVID? So. Um, we we kind of I decided to come back to the states last July. Um, we were uh, here. In, I'm sorry, I, I'm in a parking lot right now. But uh, we were in, uh, we were in Japan when it first hit, and we were kind of um, fortunate because in Japan, you know, they they're already big on uh, you know the, we're wearing the mask. You know, you, you see it on TV all the time. But when you see someone with the mask, it's their way of saying I'm I'm being considerate of you because I'm sick. Uh, so we were fortunate that uh, they were very big on, you know, they shut down everything. Uh, but I knew that because it was just the three of us, uh, I wanted to go back home. So 
Uh, I chose to go home in July, uh, me and KJ, and I stayed, we, we were renting our home, so I stayed with my mom, and I think this would be an opportunity for KJ to spend time with family as well, and for my mom, and her first grandchild, and um, my stepdad, and also my father. So, and then also, uh, James was playing basketball in Russia, and he tore his Achilles, so he came down to Okinawa to do his training. Um, to, for his physical therapy and so we all flew back so it was it was actually an opportunity for the first time we were all in the same house together oh, good. Um, and so that that worked out so COVID for me was I, I was thankful that I was with family now again Keeper was still in Japan for work um, but it, it worked out for us I, I, that it was unique in that we were separated for those six months because we just got back on the island with him in January um, but it worked for us. It, it really did. It worked for us. And I, I actually took that time for me to um, recognize that um, I, 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 under the, those uh, situations, I recognized I was okay with, you know, the whole, the mom aspect of things and getting that balance of work and life or, you know, being a mom and having personal life. Oh, wow. I didn't know you were going through all that. Yeah. <laughs> Do you still work? Uh, you know, I, I just finally got a job. Woo! Yes. <laughs> that was also difficult too. Yeah. So we got we moved to Japan. The first time we moved to Japan was in 2017. Uh, we lived in Seisebo, Japan, which is on the mainland, the the west coast. Um, the the nearest town that most people will know is um, Hiroshima, which is where um, the we the U.S. dropped the the nuclear bomb. So that that's how I. I a, a landmark I tell people but we've been in Okinawa for the last two and a half years and um, I have you know I have a master's degree but because my husband's a contractor uh, he's he's in you know in government terms that's like really low on the tunnel pole in, in the sense of your spouse getting a job because they will uh, based on preference mm-hmm. it's a point system um, active duty spouses or someone who is active duty who could apply for a position or veteran would get precedent before me it's I mean it's a great system to ensure that they're getting a job for, for someone like me it was like very difficult so I'm um, trying to find a job that was um based on salary on you know like my education and my work experience was quite hard so I'm um, in the beginning I was taking like quite honestly you know I, I worked minimum wage job just to have something to do but I've been very fortunate that I you know I've uh, got a position now that's worthy of my time, <laughs> my experience. Uh, so I'll be a veteran transition specialist, which means I'll be assisting people who either separate or retiring uh, from the military um, and need assistance in trying to find jobs. Um, so whether that's in the private or public sector, um, uh, going into the entrepreneurial um, workforce or going back to school and so I, I was a I was a recruiter and workforce development trainer for many years uh, in different jobs so this is like right up my alley so I'm really excited about that so I'm just going through the in process in processing right now and you know they're running my background for my uh, tier four uh, tier three security clearance so I'm, it's nerve-wracking because I know I didn't do anything but it's like I'm ready to start okay <laughs> so what other jobs have you had in the past before you you said you did some recruiting uh, I thought you used to work in higher ed. What did you do in that space? Yes, yeah, so I, I absolutely love those jobs. So I worked at um, two different universities, Georgia State and Coastal Carolina. And so I came in as a resident director. Uh, so what that means is that I was responsible for a first year and um, second year students uh, with their housing. Um, and so I would assist them with, you know, essentially I would oversee uh, like, like an apartment complex, I would oversee, you know, health and safety inspections, but also served as a conduct officer. So if a student was not in compliance with the code of conduct or um, the law, they would have to come meet with me. And I also was a, um, I was part of the on-call, 24-hour on-call, so I would have to respond to uh, various incidents. So I, I've had to deal with uh, students who uh, from drug overdose and uh, going to the hospital with them. I've had, I've dealt with student deaths. Wow. Um, yeah. So it's, um, 
and I, you know, that was one of the things I talked to the therapist about. And she's like, you, you talk about these things as if you're ordering breakfast. And I think it's because from the training, you know, they, uh, they, you, you're trained in it, but when you're going through it, it's kind of, it is, tra- it is traumatizing, uh, but you also, you kind of, you are the adult in the situation. So you, you, my, my first concern were the students. Uh, and so making sure my kids were okay. Um, because, you know, I, I remember the first one was at Coastal Carolina. Um, I had, I, I it, uh, a student was shot and killed, but I was five minutes from when the incident happened. Like I had left to go get a smoothie and I got the call from uh, one of my student employees. Like uh, we had a shooting, an act, we have an active shooter situation. Um, and I, I, I needed her to re- repeat it three times to make sure I heard it. Um, and so I just remember returning. It, it was like straight out of a movie. You know, I, I have a, a student who's a um, volunteer uh, EMT uh, trying to resuscitate this young man. Um, I have students crying on the sideline. I'm, I, but you, you go right into autopilot of let me, let me follow the protocol. I need to call the police. Uh, I need to call my supervisor and I need to call the director. And then there's so many, there's just so many uh, bits and uh, moving parts in that. So like in the moment, you're not thinking about it, but I just remember going back home and just falling out and calling my parents and my mom being, you know, awesome, you know, uh, family, we call her Linda Sue, Linda Sue going right into Linda Sumo. I'm driving down right now. I don't care. You know, I'm coming. I'm like, no mom, I'm okay. Just, it was a lot. And, um, but I, it's, it, again, for me, it was my most important concern were the kids. And so even though I, I experienced those type of incidents, my, my best memories are when, like, my staff would come to my office and we would have our one-on-one meetings and I would ask them about their week. They would have to submit a weekly report to kind of give me an update on how their building was doing and how they're doing personally. Um, I always wanted to push them to, I, you know, my, I, they never left out a meeting with me or a group interaction with saying like, I live for today because tomorrow isn't promised, which is something Linda Sue always told us and have fun, be safe, but don't be stupid because one bad choice could change the course of your entire life. And so, you know, almost 10 years, well, seven years later, uh, some of those students still, we follow each other on Facebook. I get updates about them getting married or having kids or they'll they'll send me a, a random note to say you know I can hear still hear you in my my mind or I, I just hear your voice telling me like don't make stupid don't be stupid don't make um poor choices <laughs> I was like that's great <laughs> you know that's good it's stuck something I said stuck um and so it's like that's my reward so um, I, I really did. I, I, I enjoyed that part of the job, but you know, when, when some, some of my closest friends or people who were in those positions with me, we think back on it, we're like, we, we experienced a lot of trauma. Like, I think we all needed therapy, but we, we were so conditioned to kind of, in a and you know, I think back on in a passive aggressive way, uh, from supervisors to kind of just okay, you, that happened, but move on. It's like, it's kind of hard to move on from that. Um, so it, it was a combination of different things that, yeah. Uh, and then that, that really changed me and kind of gave me a different perspective and outlook on life. Yeah. Crystal, tell us about your, ex- your basketball experiences. I mean, because a lot of people will never experience what you experienced as far as the the schools that you went to the level of basketball that you played yes uh I I look at that I look at basketball and like those type of things like chapters in my life and basketball was definitely an uh, an amazing experience for me because I can say that it, it allowed me to see the world like literally see the world uh so um I, growing up, you know, basketball was a big part of my life. I started playing at five. Uh, my parents, my first team was the Lakers and uh, in uh, Fort Riley, Kansas. Um, it was a seven-year-old team, but my parents lied and said, don't tell anybody, guys. But like I said, I was seven. And I was really five. <laughs> but I was so tall and lanky and 
um, I, it, it fit. And in you know those first few years, it was I guess it was more of like I knew it was a Saturday type thing, but it, it wasn't that I, I really started taking basketball seriously until high school. Um, I started uh, the coach I had he he coach Van Green was just amazing because. He, he saw something in me that I didn't see. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I knew it was something that I was good at, but I didn't know that I, the, um, how great I could be and what it could do for me. Um, so uh, when we moved to Michigan, uh, I was introduced to a man, Emez Oliver, who said, you know, there are different all-star camps. Um, I'd love to, he spoke with my dad and was like, I'd love to like invite her to come with us to Indianapolis to one of these camps where she can be seen by different uh, scouts. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of uh, my first experience as far as like dealing with a uh, high level competition from people from all over the country. And then um, once I started hearing their stories and their backgrounds and, you know, they were telling me, oh, yeah, um, I played for USA Ball and we, we were just down in Spain or, you know, yeah, we got to go to Venezuela. And I'm like, what? You can do that? <laughs> so that 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 competitive partner just kicked in for me. Like, I want to do that, too. Um, so, uh, you know, my junior year, I, I was part of the first class of Nike, uh, the, it was the first Nike All-American camp, um, which is like a big uh, top, like high level camp where players from across the country are invited and you're, you're seen by some of the, the top division one t- uh, schools uh, who send out coaches, assistant coaches to watch you play. And I remember being there and not feeling nervous. Like for me, it was like, I'm just, this is a pickup game, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it that worked in my favor because uh, uh, come that 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 September, I'll never forget September that junior my junior year was when schools could start sending you letters uh, of interest, and my our mailbox in Michigan just would be flooded like boxes and boxes of mail from different from every college and you name it from Hawaii wow. <laughs> down to Florida State and anything in between. Um, every university was interested. And so uh, then it became a situation where, all right, well, I, I have the option of going any, anywhere. Well, let, let's look at the different programs and what am I really interested in? So my, my top five became Duke, Georgia, I'm sorry, Duke, Georgia, North Carolina, Connecticut, and Virginia. And I, I chose those five because Georgia uh, the coach had been recruiting me since forever. Uh, the assistant coach, uh, Terry, who's the brother of Boo Williams, who's from Hampton, and my mother, I think there's a connection with my family. Um, and Duke, because it was, honestly, it was Duke. You know, the, the opportunity to be able to go to Duke University, I knew that on an education standpoint that at the time, I thought uh, a degree with, from Duke would get me in any door. Um and Virginia, because I wanted to be close to home. I, well, Virginia, North, Virginia, North Carolina, and Duke, I knew I'd be close to my family in Virginia. So if anything were to happen, I had clo- family close by. Mm-hmm. Uh, I chose Duke University. And in the beginning, my experience was great. I, most of my friends were outside of my teammates. But, uh, you know, Duke has an a unofficial uh, title of being the Harvard of, Harvard of the South. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, so I, I, I had a, there was a disconnect um, with me and my coaches and some of my teammates as far as like our, our background and our experiences. Um, I, you know, I, I didn't grow up um, with, I'm, we were an upper middle class family, so it wasn't like I, I wanted for things, but there were some connotations and things that were said by people that kind of made me feel less than, and I didn't like that. And so I, my sophomore year, um, the summer of my sophomore year, we, we took a trip to Australia. Uh, everything went great. I was playing. Um, and then when we got back, my coach had made a comment or said a, had used a few choice words that I, my mother and my father would never talk to me that way, you know? 
And so I immediately went upstairs like, yeah, I need to transfer. And so I remember her saying. <laughs> she said something directly you, you to you? That was offensive? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I, you know, that uh, um, hindsight, I, I recognize that at, at 18, uh, having your child, you know, we say it's your child's choice. It's, it's really not. Parents have to be a part of that conversation when choosing a university. Because you're not, at 18, you're too young to really understand the social dynamics and the, the um, this is essentially someone who's going to be your, your child's surrogate parent for four years, four to five years, you know, because you're seeing them every day. Um, and so this is someone that you're putting trust in to essentially assist your child grow up in those integral years from 18 to 21. And so I, I, I felt like I was dealing with someone who was more, she, I was, I felt like a pawn. I didn't feel like a person. And I remember having a one-on-one conversation. Was like, I need you to treat me like a person and not just a ball player. And so I wasn't getting that. And so um, from that conversation and that day in practice, I, I made the decision like, yeah, this is not going to work. <laughs> okay. And so um, I sent out. I, I contacted some people who assisted me with, um, because I couldn't just talk directly with other universities. It, it would have been against NCAA compliance. Um, but someone reached out to me. was like, well, you know, Georgia, LSU, and Florida are looking for post players, and they're really interested. And I remember, I, I still laugh about it. I was like, LS who? Where is that? I don't even know LSU. They're like Louisiana State University. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, let's check out Georgia and Florida. And so uh, Georgia, Andy Landers again having that family uh, connection. He he was very, um, and I'm I'm thankful for Coach Andy Landers for this. But he was very direct. He was like, Crystal, I'd love to have you. You know, I've wanted you since you were in fifth grade, um, but I just don't have a position for you uh, right now. Like I had to fill your spot, and it's business, and I get that. And so. He said, but I, who else are you considering? So I explained it to him. He's like, well, I, I, he said, I would go with both. But look, you know, the, these are two. They're both in the same conference. All three of these schools are in the same conference. He said, uh, well, uh, I would go with LSU, but I want you to check out both. I was like, oh, okay. So I took the trip to LSU first. They sent a private wow. jet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, sent a private to Charlotte. Um this is, and again, this is not the only reason why I went, but it played a major part. I will say that. You, know, you go to the private airport and so we're here to pick up our passenger, Crystal White. You know, it's my lady. They're like, passenger? Like the only passenger? Excuse me. So I remember just, wow. So at this point, I'm, you know, I'm 19. Like, I'm, I'm on a private jet. Like, um, and yeah, that was awesome. So, you know, I get down to, um, Baton Rouge and the, you know they lay out literally lay out a red carpet and pick me up on on the uh, on the runway um, and I'm like wow this is probably the best first impression I've ever experienced in my life and I was picked up by um, the two assistant coaches who were both black uh, Pokey Chapman and Carla Berry and they were like you know we just this is what we do here and I'm like okay um but what more than anything was so me with LSU was one I felt more at home I guess you can say and there was a connection having those two black coaches uh completely changed the trajectory for me and my and as far as my confidence and who I and shaped me as who I am as a black woman you know having them there it, it just if I would have stayed at Duke, I would have never known that was an, that was that was available to me, you know. Um, and um, I just remember just so the, the recruiting process, go through the recruiting process, you meet the team, you they take you out to dinner and all of that. And like the whole time, my mind I was like, I'm coming here, I'm coming here. And um, at the end, they were like, so what's up next? I was like, well, I have to go to Florida, but I really want to commit with you all. And like I respected them so much, they were like, no. I hear you saying that, but we want you to take the trip to Florida. You have to have something to compare it to. And I respected them so much more for that um, because other, you know, other schools would have been like, oh, okay, cool. Let's have you sign right now. But they wanted me to get, you know, not to have any doubts about my decision. 
Um, and so straight from Baton Rouge, I flew to uh, Gainesville. I visited the school and I just didn't have the same vibe. In, in fact, I felt insulted. It, it felt more like Duke 2.0 for me because I remember an academic advisor telling me, well, I'm not sure if this is really the school for you. Um, maybe you can consider junior college. It is, I said, excuse me? Uh, I'm leaving Duke and my grades are fine. So that it just, I just was very yeah. insulted. And so I remember the coaches trying to scramble like, well, that's just one advisor for one particular school. It, it was the uh, uh, business business school because I, I, I wanted to get uh, business, business admin. I always wanted to do marketing. Um, but just how she said that, I was like, no, I'm not coming here. And again, some of the players that they had me um, were kind of my hosts. I had played with over the years through, again, Nike ball and summer camps. And they were like, yeah, just go to LSU. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like that, we just had that open conversation, like this ain't it, go to LSU. And I I'm glad I did. And so with basketball in, in a division one, top five, uh, you know, top five school, your experience is like that of the league, like the of, as a professional athlete. Um, you travel first class, you, you in the sense of every flight is chartered. Um, you you have the police escorts. Um, you are your your face is plastered everywhere, so you're always on, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so I think that in in the I enjoyed it. And I was I, I traveled all over the country and around the world with basketball, and I was for, so fortunate to see so many things, and I never took it for granted. Like when we went to Colorado, I was so excited to see the mountains you know and take in this fresh air when we went to new mexico you know that's not a place i would ever think to go like everywhere we went i would i would try to seek out something that was unique and that i know i would never have an, an experience with that again um but it it also it's like it it shapes you and unfortunately that everything's got to be perfect or i feel like i'm Whenever I go somewhere, I have to be on. You know, I can't. I, at six three, I don't just blend in. Right. You know, I can't go somewhere and just run in and out. I'm always gonna have that. Uh, can I ask you a question? You probably get this all the time, you know. And um, some days you just don't feel like being on, but you know, this this person is asking you this because they're trying to find a commonality, and I, I recognize that now. But in it, it was kind of like, just please, I like. I'm having a bad day. I don't. I don't want to come across as being rude or disrespectful. I just don't want to talk to anybody. You know? <laughs> and so that, that. How did you handle? Because you've always probably have felt like you had to be on. How did you handle that going through postpartum depression? Woo. Um. I. You know. It, there would be days where I'll just go sit in the car and just yell out, like literally just blood curling just screams um I you know there'd be days I, I I make it a point to take a photo of myself to look back on that at, in that moment you know I, I remember it being like 2 a.m and just taking a photo of myself and I look back on that photo and was like wow that that was a really broken person um I was really hurt I I, I recognize that I didn't have I didn't know my self-worth I didn't I didn't really know who I was as a person like what I uh, I remember my Keith would ask me all the time well what do you want to do I said you know for the longest I just wanted to be a wife and mom and now I have it and it's like yeah. mm -hmm. <laughs> and um and I, I recognized I, I I didn't really know what I wanted to do I had gone through college I had gone through grad school and I still didn't really know what I wanted to do at at that time 36 I was still figuring mm -hmm. it out and um, it, it, it just took for me to do kind of that, you know, um, do the work, really. Um, and speaking with a therapist, I, I had, you know, she just went through a timeline. You know, we kind of went through a timeline of my whole life. And so having, I, I think it had, you know, it starts with uh, my dad being a pastor and my mom being a teacher. So, you know, every Sunday, well, every mm -hmm. Tuesday, Wednesday, Saturday and Sunday when I'm in church. Yeah, that's honest, right. You know? I forgot that. And yeah, so like that—that that has been my mantra. My mantra, almost more than half of my life, 
And so at no, I never really had a chance to figure out who I was or what made me tick, what, what brought me joy, um, being able to recognize boundaries. Uh, it was just, it, it, it was just uh, the therapist and I just kind of just pushing through those layers, recognizing that yes, while it was, I was so fortunate to travel to these, these various places, the fact that we were constantly moving uh, made it hard for me to open up to people because I knew that within four to five years we were out, you know, because as a military family. So as an adult, that translated to that I was very, uh, I, I, I was I'm very private. Um, I have a very small core group of uh, close friends. And, you know, they, they tell me all the time, like in the beginning, it, it was like a brick wall with you. You know, uh, one of my best friends, she was my supervisor when I was a recruiter. Uh, and she would say, I would try to invite you out for lunch or dinner. <laughs> you just kept it very work. You know, you were just always just about work and I didn't know anything about you outside of that. And then, it, and then one day when we fought, when I finally opened up, she was like, I would have never known you. You had this whole amazing life. Like you lived all these places because it was, it was hard for me to just let people in and not so much from a fear of them hurting me, but just, again, I just, I didn't know how, I didn't know how to, open up to people I didn't know how to start it, it would bring me it, and it still does in a sense brings me social anxiety like anxiety to drum up a conversation with uh, a, a new person um I mean I, I I remember when my mother would make me order pizza and I would write out a script of what I was going to say <laughs> to the person on the you know because it just was so difficult for me to just speak up but I, Put me on a basketball court, I'm, I'm clocked in. Um, I, if I have to speak at church or I have to do something with church, I'm on. Because it, it, was, it was almost like performing. like It's like a performance. But it wasn't genuinely me. So I, I felt like I was on autopilot for so many years. And like I said, that like that ninth, ninth or 10th month of um, KJV in nine or 10 months was when it was like, I, I felt like everything went from black and white to I saw color mm -hmm. at the end. Like it's all, like tapped out, like I tapped mm -hmm. out the matrix for real. And then, um, then other things, you know, it's, it, it drummed up other things, just my, um, just again, just finding self-love and feeling worthy of love. And that's why I'm so thankful for my husband. Cause we, we are, we'll be, we were friends first. Um, we met it'll be 10 years in November and he was just always just a great friend we didn't date we just uh, had the same uh, core group of friends that took trips and traveled or hung out at different each other's homes and uh different things but he he's a social butterfly like I, I always joke with Keith you've never met a stranger mm -hmm. <laughs> like and um he 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 was really uh integral in helping me to open up to other people and but most importantly, like when it's just us, I can be my authentic and genuine self. He recognizes uh, when, you know, and I still, I still do battle with, there's days where I am like, I'm just, I'm not with it. <laughs> and he's okay with that. And he'll, you know, he'll jump in, take KJ, he'll make breakfast or, you know, he'll uh, say, hey, Crystal, why don't you go get your nails done? I'll go get a massage. I've already contact them they know you're coming you know like things like that and I'm just so thankful to have a partner who again I can be myself I don't feel like I have to be on all the time like he knows me and I, that that helps yeah. one of the things you talked about um I used to work at this company called the online company uh higher ed company called inside higher ed and every month every week we would invite a president and um mm -hmm. of a college um and one of the things that the editor there asked them, what is your biggest fear? And most of their biggest fear was losing a student to death and calling their parents. Mm. So you experience what a president who's head of the whole university, his worst fear, but you, you seem like you, um, you said you were on autopilot. So it's amazing. Yeah. The president, his worst fear, yeah. you handle it like a pilot. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, it's um, you know, it's 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 really it has so many ripple effects to it because you know that 
you're not only dealing with the, the immediate family of the student who's passed, but also, you know, again, working in housing, the roommates mm-hmm. of that student, you know, uh, people who the, the, we have, we reach out. So we take care of all those. So we, we have the, the, the count, they meet with the counselors, um, the parents of the roommates, um, the friends, like you, you just do a deep dive. Who did this, who did this person interact with and engage with? So uh, I, I can completely empathize with the president because on that massive scale, because then you're also going to be getting inundated with phone calls because again so for that first one I dealt with was a shooting right so now you have an an entire university put on high alert and so we we dealt with a lot of parents calling in like well is my child safe do I have to now take my child out of your housing or do I need to remove my child from that university um and something that I would always share with parents is you know I I live here too like I literally live in the same building um, live in the buildings as these students do. So, um, I, you know, this was an unfortunate event, but this is this is not to say that it's happening all the time. So that that's really the most important part is your the, the that ripple effect and how many people uh, you want to make you're trying to balance to make sure they're okay is the most important. Wow. Part. And you know, another thing, um, one of my friends' son, he was. Um, He's when you were in basketball, he was academics. He had a choice of going to almost any college, Harvard, Johns Hopkins, Edward, but he chose mm-hmm. Duke. And uh, he mm-hmm. had the kind of the same experience you had. Um, told me that mm-hmm. um, one day he was in a library, he fell asleep, and um, and this a, a white female student asked him, Was he a student? And he said, Yes, that if he wasn't, right. she was gonna call the campus police to get him removed from campus. And then he said that one day he was, um, he went to like Dollar General or the Dollar Store to buy his cosmetics, you know, his uh, toiletries. And a student, white male, mm-hmm. asked him um, where he'd been. And he told them, and he said, Who goes there? And he said, Well, so what should I have what my cosmetics, I mean, my toiletries? And he said, right. Target or, you know, who would go to something so ghetto? He said, He didn't know that. And he said, exactly. So he had a, he, um, he didn't really d- seek out the black folks. He was thinking that because he was smart, he was going to be a part of smart, you know, smart kids. At- but I told him, exactly. you know, I'm from Danville. Oh, oh, Danville, Virginia. We know the first black male player for Duke was from Danville, Claudius Clay. Wow. He, it, I did not know. He had that. the That's same awesome. experience you had. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, <laughs> even back then, probably right? worse. Wow. And so, yeah, yeah I can imagine. So, yeah, you know, it's dirt. It, it's those oh, those southern roots. Uh, but uh, that's a whole other conversation. But no, it's true. It's uh, I I will say I did seek out you know the Black Student Alliance again. Most of my friends were outside of my 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 teammates. Uh, for me, because I just needed that balance. Like I have to see y'all every single day. Um, I need to see some other people who who aren't having the same experience as me, who can give me a fresh new perspective. But uh, you know, we all had to deal with that. And you know, I can speak to I know as far as like um, male athletes, student athletes. Um, a lot of times, I would see them out. Um, like wearing their jersey, and for me, I, at first I was like okay, we know you play, like, get over yourself, you know, and then I'll, I'll never forget uh, one of my friends who played, he said, you know, Crystal, I, I, it's not that I want to wear my jersey, I have to, re- I have to wear my jersey to remind uh, some of these white people that, hey, I do go to this school, I'm not just some black guy who's in your neighborhood, and it's like, that hit me, like, oh, wow, that's so sad, that you know they accept you for the the student athlete well the athlete that you are but they won't accept you as a black man attending this university and so that that again uh when you have a a white coach or someone there's no really anyone you can talk to these things about it's just we're, we're trying to figure it out um amongst ourselves it's like you're just pulling at straws you know and it's it's so confusing and so I, you know, again, those integral years, 18 to 21, you're trying to figure it out with no one who can really give you a voice or um, it, 
you know, talk you through it, it, it can leave you lost. And so that's why I was so thankful for my assistant coaches at LSU that I, you know, I could just go in their office and like, where do you get your, you know, something simple, yeah. where do you get your hair done? Oh, let me call, call such and such, should, should get you in today. You know, like simple things like that um, really matter. And then also just the struggles of um, being a black person and being an athlete. So you don't want to be seen as the dumb athlete. Oh, sh- you just got in school because you play mm-hmm. ball. No, I, I could have gotten, into- I-, I would, I was accepted into Duke on an um, academic or athletic scholarship. So it's not about not being able to uh, perform in the classroom. It's just, you want to, you don't want to be seen as just one thing. Um, something that it, it to this, and I always, I have to like politely correct people when they say it. It was like, oh, do you play ball? Well, it'd be a shame if you didn't because that'd be a waste of height. And so my response immediately is always, but I'm more than a ball player. Like you have doctors and lawyers and people who have, you know, have families and they can do more than basketball. Like I am not limited to one thing. Um, and I yeah. think that's so important. You have a brain. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But I, I, we, Crystal, what what do you see? What do you see for your future? What do you see for your future? You know, I honestly, I, and I, I told my mom this years ago, and I just have to put it in practice. But I would love to create an organization that helps uh, student athletes, particularly like. Uh, kids who are going into college to be able to have a resource to go to as far as um, how to the appropriate way to find a university that best suits you and to know that and to to have some type of peer uh, counseling or um, someone that they can reach out to anonymously that helps them through the, the various struggles that you experience of, because you're, you're, you are playing dual roles of uh, the, the athlete and the student. You have to balance your, your, your requirements in the classroom and those requirements for the sport. Um, and for me, I just, I just remember my struggles day in and day out about uh, it, I'm, I'm doing all this for someone else. What's in it for me? So I, I just would like to help people be able to connect with different schools um, that that will help them in the long run. Like you, you're not just here for these four or five years of being a sport. Are they going to assist you with getting a job? If you decide to change your degree, is that going to fall in line with the time that you have practiced so you can't take that particular class? You know, like mm-hmm. that actually happens. Um, so I just want to be able to give people the knowledge and um, to go into these deci- decisions and understand that the NCAA at the end of the day is just a business. It's a multi-billion dollar business that will continue running with or without you. So how, how can you set yourself up for success uh, and use all the tools that they have um, to make sure that you can come out of it um, as much unblemished as you can? And that's the best way I can put it. That's something I would like to do. I also, as a now, as uh, you know, a wife and mom, um, particularly as a mom, I want my son to have as many experiences and uh, see as many places as he can, but again, be able to feel comfortable enough to, um, when he's interacting or engaging with people, um, that he, it's, he's, he can be his authentic self. And um, for me, it's also that, uh, you know, this like conscious parenting I guess that he can he can come to us as his parents and let us know you know I I just don't this is not the day for me today you know like feel comfortable to have those conversations um and as a wife just continue to be supportive of my husband and we can grow uh as a unit um spiritually um and we, we have so many goals that, you know, we, we are accomplishing and continue to want to accomplish, whether it's, you know, purchasing land, uh, acquiring properties, um, and just uh, that, that having that, that excitement and joy and love for each other continuously. That is so wonderful. 
Well, you know what I was oh, thinking when so even good. when you were talking that you would be a great person to write a book or um, develop some type of program to help uh, student athletes. So you kind of, you know, because I yeah. think that that's, you know, we hear about uh, af- athletes, you know, in their careers, but I know their struggles, um, their struggles. And yeah. so if, and then if we're not even talking about the people who fall through the cracks, because you could have been at Duke right. and just fell through the cracks and not ever gotten a degree Absolutely. or, you know, finished, you know, did anything else with basketball, they would discourage you. But um, but some people do get discouraged yeah. and just fall out of it. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think that yeah. would be, you know, if nothing else, put together an ebook or uh, a blog or go on, just go on Instagram and start talking about it. Because I think that's something that's missing. I agree. Um, you know, this this recent app Clubhouse, I was invited, one of my former teammates, Isis Tillis, she's now um uh the fifth district uh New York attorney. Uh, and she, you know, she she wanted to talk about her experiences from um, you know, she stayed at Duke and I remember her saying, you know, we went through we we had a lot of traumas, but no one talks about that. Mm. They just talk about the wins, you know. <laughs> Like that's all that's important, and no one really talks about their experience. And it's almost as if you you speak up, you are you're going against the grain. You know, it's almost taboo. But I I recognize now, like I, I you know, there was a recent post by uh, a young lady from University of Oregon where she talked about the disparities uh, with the NCA for the, the the tournament that's going on now. Yeah. She showed the weight room for mm-hmm. the, the women's players, you know what I'm talking about? And it was just a, mm-hmm. a row of like hand weights. And then she 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 panned over and she showed the men's section and it was a full on mm-hmm. weight room, you know? And then she talked about their meals. They had a, a ready-made meal with Salisbury steak and mashed potatoes and veggies. It looked like something mm-hmm. like a something like one of those three minute microwave meals. And then it panned to the the men's team where they had uh catering filet mignon, mashed potatoes, you know, so it's just like that that disparity and like I, I'm I'm I love it. I'm speak up. Bring the whole system down if you got to, you know, like I'm with it, you know. And you know, uh my generation, I graduated undergrad in 2004 We we said, you know, I'm so glad we didn't grow up in the era of social media, but geez, I wish we did because some of us, the stories we could tell could could definitely have made a change for this next generation. But I, I'm so proud. I'm so proud of them for using their voices and speaking up. And um, yeah, I, I think it, it is time to discuss it. And it's, it's, and again, this is not a, to put down a university or, you're trying to disrespect you just you're talking about your your personal experience and so if it can help or sharing that with someone else um who's going through it to know that you want you you want to pick a place that wants you you want to pick a place that they are going to help you grow not only in your sport but as a person you know um and that's that's just so vital because and then I, as parents i would say you just you you really got to look at it like this is this is your child's surrogate parent for these four years you you can call and check on your child and they'll tell you what's going on but they're never really going to tell you how it's really happening because out of fear not not so much fear but it's just that that person hold so much merit with your child because you they do see them as someone who's going to protect or take care of them and you just have a lot of shady people out here who can do who can manipulate and just um be can be emotionally toxic and it, it's not a good look and so i i get well, I, i'm I loving that your, your uh, program could be the called NCAA, win-win yeah. so you know the, the universities always cost they want to win how much they make so much money when they win but also it should be a win for the student athlete also Yes, absolutely. I was thinking about something about weeping. It's something about the weeping that's in the winning, you know, so a lot of people are crying and it takes a lot of gnashing and hard work and, but all that pain that's underneath that no one talks about. That's what I'm. Oh yeah. And then, 
and we didn't even we didn't even delve into like the injuries the amount of injuries that you deal with you know like I have two I I have two metal rods in my legs you know like I had multiple stress fractures in my shins so I am now walking around with metal rods in my legs and like I think about that with the when the before I even went into surgery and the doctor saying now there's a possibility that this could but it's also a possibility that it couldn't assist with your injury and you you are you are manipulating into thinking well let me just do this so I can get back on the court and be there for my teammates Mm -hmm. you know like you hear that like I'm doing this for my team I'm doing it for my team well what about you you know what about your your uh, you know the the weather here right now is a, a brisk sixty one with high winds and I'm feeling it you know my knees are cracking I I have to at thirty nine I'm standing up and I, I you know I, I'm dealing with arthritis at thirty nine and so yeah it's it's a lot it is you it, it's a, it has to be a win win one of my favorite uh, professors in my African American study class I remember he 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 would always walk in with a suit and a um, briefcase and he he would uh, always tell us the student athletes uh, you need to treat this like a business and you better get everything out if they want you to volunteer and shake hands and kiss babies you make sure you ask them for business calls <laughs> and internship <laughs> and I was like that's <laughs> that's right you know and, and, and so it's people like that you, you want you Kids, students have to have someone like that around who can kind of spark give you like that spark in that like change of thinking to assist you to be like okay I'm not I'm not just a ball player like I, I don't have to just get up at 5 a.m to go run up do you know work out to go to class from 7 to 12 to come back to practice to go to weights at three to four then go to training table uh, then go to study hall at 7 p.m. and then finally get back to my room at 9 at 9 p.m. to do it all over again tomorrow. Like that. Yeah, that's it's, I'm tired of even thinking about that. Think about my college days sleeping, missing <laughs> class, and just laying in bed watching TV. But um, yeah, wow. Um, you know, one thing that I know about you, Crystal, just from watching you grow up, is that anytime you were down, it didn't matter. You could be way down, down low. It was almost like in my mind, and now for sure, I know it for sure, is that you bounce back up higher. Like it didn't matter. Wherever you were down, you would bounce back up higher. Do you feel yeah. that way about your life? And you, you know, Marie, I, I didn't, I, I, it wasn't like I was intentionally trying to bounce back higher. I think it was the universe saying, um, Mm-hmm. you're deserving you're mm-hmm. worthy of this mm-hmm. and let me show you you know um I, I I know that when I was in it I was not I I can honestly say I wasn't going through my different circumstances and thinking okay how can I uh I, I really wasn't I wasn't thinking about how can I get out of this for the best situation it was it was really just I'm blessed and I'm favored I'm covered and protected that even in those deep and dark times, the universe God saw fit for me to to experience Amen. joy Amen. or something better. Honestly, honestly, I, um, and um, I, I something I've always well I've started saying lately is that the universe will give you the same scene with different actors uh-huh. until you get it. <laughs> and so, if you ever feel like you're on a loop. It's because the universe is trying to show you that you there's something in this that you need to learn, and um and I've and I've recognized now that you know to your point that whenever I bounce back or or had a better or greater experience is because I've learned that I finally learned that lesson, and so I can move on to what I'm worthy of and deserving of, and I'm and I and I appreciate it more now that I've, I you know I I do know that I found myself and I feel confident in who I am as a woman, um, in a person, just as a person, just here on earth, I know who I am. And I'm confident excellent. Great. Oh, Crystal. Thank you. One of the things I thought about Crystal is that, um, in our family, uh, I would, I played basketball as a little kid too. Um, not, not, uh, like you did, but mm-hmm. I was thinking about our family history 
it's something about it's probably even go back to after we came here it, we had athletes or or uh, competitive people and so um and then you had it on both sides. Mm-hmm. Your dad was an athlete and your mom. So uh, so you are in your t- right. right and perfect place. Um, and you will, I believe that you're going to add something to the athletic world that hasn't been done. So like Marie said, you're going to bounce back, but this time you're going to slam dunk the next time. I'm here with a 360 windmill. <laughs> Go hard in the paint. Go hard in the paint. Thank you. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Literally and figuratively. Yes, I agree. Oh, Crystal, thank you so much for for talking with us and spending time with us today. I mean, I know that it's early for you, so I really appreciate that. And Yes, no problem. Thank you so much. I'm honored and it's a privilege to just have been able to have this dialogue with you, my family, and that Richardson blood. Yes, it does. Strong and true. So, Crystal, take care of yourself. <laughs> take care of KJ, and um, keep bouncing back. Uh, God bless. Thank you, man. Have a great Thank day. you so much. Bye.